You're listening to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Igrani Yu. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Lex Sokolin. When I spoke with Lex, he was still with Autonomous Research, a position that he has since moved on from. But I hope you'll still continue to enjoy this episode and the insights that he shares. We'll be talking about artificial intelligence, automation, and what these technologies mean for insurers. Thanks for joining us, Lex. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I want to focus on one area uh, that I know autonomous research has really focused, and that's on the area of AI, artificial intelligence, and specifically on how it affects the insurance industry. I feel like a lot of people confuse AI, the application of AI, with the application of automation. Can you highlight the difference between those two? Absolutely. And um, one of the things that definitely plagues the thought leadership uh, to say in this space is painting with a very broad brush and uh, you know pictures of cyborgs and and various network diagrams to make it feel futuristic. This stuff, end of the day, is all just a set of human tools, uh, tools that people developed in order to be more effective, in order to scale their thinking, um, and simply do more. Uh, and so I don't think that artificial intelligence even though it's, it sounds uh, threatening or uh, very ambitious, I don't think it's necessarily any different than uh, the invention of the cloud or electricity uh, or the wheel or fire or language or any of these foundational things in human development. So that said, if you think about digitization or automation, for me, that splits into two types of vectors. So the first one is human process to machine process. Something that a person does in a manual way in a workflow, take that and put it into software. So we have experience with this every single day. Think about going into an Excel and typing in a mathematical formula. You're defining uh, a, a rule set according to which a software will compute something. Or if you go one step in and you say, let's build software for account opening, for example. Instead of a human being coming into the office and filling out paperwork, let's capture that on uh, a mobile platform. And the taking of that data and filling out forms, that's all programmed top down. So we know what the workflow is. It is sufficiently simple for us to sketch it out and turning it, turn it into if this, then that rules. And then the outcome is fully deterministic from where we started and what kind of data we added. And we know how it works. We can reverse engineer the code and, and understand what, what's happening very easily. The second way that you can have digitization is from human intelligence to machine intelligence. And within machine intelligence, there are different approaches to um, creating outcomes that feel like intelligence, that feel like there's a, an element of judgment to it. Uh, the one that's popular right now is machine learning enabled by uh, mathematics called neural networks. And so what neural networks do very well is that they, they're able to solve a problem in a probabilistic way to create an intuition for what something is. So if you're looking at a picture of a cat as a human being, you know that it's a cat and not a dog. And there is a process in our brain by which that happens. The, the picture of a cat has no meaning to a, a computer uh, unless it's transformed into data and unless 
millions of versions of that data cat are aggregated and fed into a mathematical algorithm that's able to uh, create correlations between sometimes thousands of different parameters in order to say, this is more likely to be a cat or this is more likely to be a dog. So the it's still software, it's still a tool, um, but the foundational piece isn't the top-down logic of if this, then that. Uh, the foundational piece is massive, massive data sets on which the software sits or is trained. And those foundational data sets you know, came out of the internet. It came out of the cloud. You wouldn't be able to have that otherwise. And once you have those data sets, you're able to uh, apply these different mathematical algorithms on top. And then those algorithms, you can essentially put into a rule set how a person would make a judgment. And then you can lift out that judgment and you can plug it in into a software process. And so now at scale, you can do things like make decisions on whether somebody should be getting more credit and get their next loan. And with every new piece of information, you update that. Or you know, a lot of this came out in advertising. So Amazon is very good at giving you suggestions about what you should buy next. Uh, Netflix and Spotify know your tastes in music and in video in the same way. And in insurance, there are lots of different ways that um, AI can be used at the manufacturing layer, at the at the operating claims layer, at the portfolio management layer, as well as um, within customer distribution. So the, two very different worlds. You know, one is the if this then that command Soviet Union sort of central planning world where you define all the outcomes that are deterministic, and then the other world, uh, which is the AI world, is probabilistic based on. Uh, existing data where you you train the neural networks on, um, and it's much more like codifying a human intuition and then deploying it at machine scale. So when it comes to AI, which solutions or types of solutions are the most mature, in your opinion? I'd say that the most mature parts of artificial intelligence are the ones that are being built by the big tech companies. So, And the big tech companies are motivated to recreate a lot of the human senses in order to figure out how to provide products and services to people in a way that's intuitive and is selected by the people in those platforms. And so what I mean by that is uh, the sense of vision, the sense of for hearing, the ability to create speech. Those are things that are very mature in terms of the uh, technology itself and how well-trained the networks are and what data is available for that training. So vision and speech, um, and then when you think about self-driving cars, that's also a version of machine machine vision. Those are the mature technologies, and in large part because they've been built by the big tech companies, whether in the West or, or in the East. And so I, I say that because when you take that and then you apply it to the financial services industry and to insurance, it's not a surprise to see the stuff that's being used the most to be the one that most aligns with kind of a, a human ability. That makes sense. So how do you see AI being applied to the traditional insurance value chain in distribution, for example? So if you think about insurance sales agents, right, what is it that they do? Well, they, they have a, a role of being in front of the client, being present, physically present where that client is. Um, so you can think of that as sort of almost a billboard for the financial product. 
And in the U.S. alone, I think there's something like 370,000 insurance sales agents. And so there's a role for AI there. So how do I find the client? How do I get to where they are? Artificial intelligence can help you figure out, based on preferences and browsing history and so on, where your customer segment lives. The second step from that is taking the customer and engaging them in some sort of conversation. In the physical world, you might have a person that comes to your home or goes out to a site to do an assessment. In the digital world, the phone and is your attention platform. So that's really important to wrap around intuitively because there are only five to 10 seats on the phone for financial apps. So whereas in the, in the real world, in the physical world, you can instantiate as many branches as you want and you can send out as many people as you like, in the mobile world, there's only five seats you can take. And so it's extremely important for financial incumbents to figure out how to live inside those attention platforms and have attributes that are native to those attention platforms. So chatbots for sure is one of those things. Um, and for me, chatbots and voice uh, are essentially the same. So chatbots being things that live either inside the phone as a standalone app uh, or that live inside something like Facebook Messenger as a standalone bot. Um, so if you think about downloading Lemonade or Leo or something like that and being able to communicate within the app, that's just a native feature of how you should build your uh, customer service function within a world where most of the attention sits with the big tech companies and not with you know, billboards or other sorts of traditional media advertising. So that's massively important. Of course, the caveat is chatbots are not, they haven't been very effective at replicating a human interaction. And so this is, this is an area that's really tough to, uh, to find where the line is between the human and the machine. And the negotiation of that line uh, is where you can make or break the customer experience. So if you have a customer that's coming into your app and trying to discuss something with your chatbot and it's a frustrating experience and they'd rather talk to a person, um, you're definitely going to lose them. And if you don't have an easy way to push out of that conversational flow into uh, a human channel, again, you're, you're just going to lose that customer. And then in other cases, as, as well as according to, to generational uh, lines, you might have a much better experience uh, with, a, with a customer that is able to get onboarded through the phone, is able to get underwritten through a phone, is able to take a picture of either their passport to get through KYC AML, or is able to take a picture of the damage that their car is under and push that through to the, to the insurance company for claims assessment. So there's definitely um, a negotiation that happens between how frustrating it is to work with a chatbot versus how nice it is to be able to do these things automatically and quickly. Um, and I think that's still in large part being discovered or, or explored. I'd say we don't have a final answer there yet. And in part, we don't have a final answer there yet because the underlying technology still has a lot of room to go. Uh, Amazon Alexa and uh, Google's AI assistants are you know, still in their very, very rudimentary stages. And I would, I would expect the next 10 years to be um, 
these platform shifts where the big companies compete for being able to to do conversation well. Um, so that's that's the first piece that 370 insurance sales agents um, and the role that they play. Um, I'd also kind of just flag um, the you know the claims process within claims process uh, claims processing. There's about 250,000 people. You know, so the magnitude is also uh, quite large. And then if you look at underwriting headcount and folks that kind of work on the models, um, you're getting to about 280,000 people. So there's an equal amount of opportunity for automation using this technology in all of the different parts of the value chain. That's great, Lex. I love that description of a phone as an attention platform. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. I'm looking forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Wonderful. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. Join me in the next one when Lex and I talk about the ethics of AI and specifically what happens when you apply machine algorithms to human bias. You've been listening to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast with your host, Igrani Yu. To find more episodes and to subscribe, visit Accenture.com slash insurance influencers. 